Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the episode of Coffee is for Closers. Special guest today, Diamond Hands himself, Stephen Andrews. What's <laughs> going on, Steve? Been well, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, buddy. So Steve is one of our sales guys, uh, has a very colorful background in terms of uh, business and sales and what you've learned and where you've come from. But uh, yeah, I thought it'd be a good idea today to get Steve in and show us your wisdom and your journey. So uh, yeah, cue the intro. If you listen to this podcast, you will make your first million within three years. I'm going to repeat that. You will make a million dollars within three years of the first episode you listen to. We don't want pikers. We're not here to save the manatees. We're here to make podcasts. You really want this. You listen and review. Put that coffee down. Red Stevie. How did we get to be here today? Good question, Matt. Found out about Sales Sniper. When was it? End of, probably end of 2020, actually. Mm -hmm. I got involved with Jeremy Miner and then as part of that saw one podcast, one kind of meeting with Matt and I thought this is a guy I should get to know. He knows sales and quite intriguing. So it's been a good journey actually, man. Okay. What did you do before sales? I was in Forex brokering, you know. Yeah. Been running brokerages. Was selling in brokerages before that. Then I sort of graduated to running it, and I've had all sorts of history there. So it's yep. been a good journey. Okay, so what was like? What was the I guess sales floor mentality like on sales in a forex brokerage firm? Look, it's quite not the traditional sort of kill them. You know, you have, because we've got to be compliant, right? So you had to sort of sell intelligently. Like you couldn't just blast everyone and, you know, sell with hype the way that most people try to tell you to do it. So you yeah. had to be quite, you know, strategic with your sales. You had to be compliant with the regulators that you're not overhyping a product because it was regulated. So yeah, it was quite quite a different background than traditional, you know, powwow, you know, hammer the sales, even though there is some of that in that industry. Okay. Because like my, my thought immediately goes to boiler room. Spot on. And that kind of stuff, right? So, yeah. like, what what were the specific, I guess, products that you were trying to get people into? Basically, you're selling the software to trade effectively, or and it's the software as well as the brokerage itself. Okay. So, you're selling the brokerage in terms of. So, I, I would I would invest my money, and you guys take the money, and you guys invest. No, it for me. invest with us and trade with us. You're selling the brokerage as a service as well. Oh. So, come in here, and you had to compete with other brokers, bigger, more established come in here and why. So you had to sort of sell that aspects okay. are quite interesting. So I guess Forex is different to like traditional stock brokering. Yeah. Is it more or less regulated? <sighs> I'd say with the Forex industry, if people in the Forex industry know this, I'd say it's probably more regulated. Okay. It's a, it's a derivative. It's a high risk, high play game. So the regulators are very sort of cautious with that, as they should be, because you know, there, there are, there are some bad players that they've got to be aware of. So yeah. Well, whenever you get DM'd, by a scammer, it's either crypto or forex, right? That's right. Comes with the territory. Yeah. Right? Do you see any parallels between what's happening at the moment with crypto and, I guess, maybe I don't know. Like, I don't know much about forex. It was like a golden age of forex. Do you think that that sort of those that money's passing, or is it still just as lucrative? As That's it was? a good question, and the answer is the regulators have come down the last couple of years, and they've really tightened up the industry, which it needed to be done. So, yeah. to some extent, for the bad players, the golden industries over in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, the higher profits and all that. But, you know, in terms of for the safety of the clients and the consumers, it's probably they're in a better spot now that they're not 
in a position taking so much risks with it, you know, that the brokers are doing the better things now because the regulators have sort of caught up with it. So the golden age in some respects has passed, but it's it's a safer environment now. Do you think that will as well that they'll do the same similar thing with crypto? I do. I think that yeah. crypto would be one of the big talking points across the world. You know, we've already had you know, American administration just last week talk about that and shaking the market, as we can see. Yeah. <laughs> Huge blood and guts everywhere. Man. Yeah, and you were the CFO, CEO, CEO of one of those large brokers. Few of them actually over over my time. Yeah. Okay. So how did that? I guess like you don't have to go through the series of events because I'm somewhat familiar with it. But I guess like what was the point where you were like, "This I'm out. I want to get into something where I have more control over." Yeah. Well, well again, it's it, it stemmed from you know I was. Pregnant with a, my first child, me myself wasn't, but my partner yeah. Arissa was, and it was really hot at that time. The market was hot. There was a few things going on in general with the industry, and it was time for me to say, "Well, look, take a step back." You know, I'm still involved in some respects in other ways with it, but it, it gave me time to sort of reflect and say, "What other incomes can I earn with something that I enjoy doing? Something that can you know contribute a little bit?" And sales was always my background, so it naturally made me say, "Well, what's available?" Take sort of taking a look there. Not to say I've turned my back on the forex industry. I'm still involved somewhat, but not as active as I was. So, what was your first high ticket gig? So, high ticket gig was really if you're talking about high ticket sales, it was probably you know when I came on selling sort of e-commerce packages and you know high packages in that way. Before that, it was selling the brokerages, and before that, I was selling alarm systems back in the day, like I think a few of us did. Yeah, yeah. door to door, and then selling Xerox. So high ticket over the phone, yeah, it's, it's more in the last couple of years. You know, one of the funniest conversations that I think I ever had with you is we all went out to lunch one day and I was talking about how you can tell you're selling a scam. This is, I think, before you were sort of just starting with us and you had other accounts. And I remember I started listing all the things that you can tell. And we all looked at you and you were like, Oh, I was like, I think Steve just figured out he's selling a scam. Well, I, I come into things generally wanting to help people, right? Yeah, no, yeah. And, you know, when you find if, if something's not right or if it's delivered not right, you know, you don't want to be, you know, you want to be in, in help, you know, helping people. You know, you want yeah. someone that buys a product that, you know, is in a position to do it and they're ready. And I think if you've got that alignment, right, and if you've got that, that you believe in what you're selling, I don't know, I, I think it's more congruent and it allows you to, you know, have, have a better response and a better outcome for everyone. Yeah, man, cool. And so what was your first, your first product was like e-com done for you or was it? Yeah, effectively. Yeah. 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 And then I think you moved on to an Amazon offer. Yep. Right. And so I guess like, I guess like where, where, where are you headed? Like what's your, where do you want to be in terms of your sales career? Cause like, I know a little bit about you. You don't need the money, right? Cause you've been good with your investments. So like, what's the, what's the driving force behind wanting to one, like why would you invest you know, 30 grand or 40 grand or whatever it is you did in your sales training when like you're very comfortable and you, you have a skill set being Forex trading and crypto trading where you could probably just do that full time and make a good amount of coin. Yeah. Right. So why, why go so deep into the skill set? I think it's probably one of the most important skills you could learn really. And it's important to keep diversified, right? Like markets come and go, things Mm -hmm. come and go. And I think if you not diversified enough if you specialise too much. Some people argue the point that you've got to specialise and master something completely, but I was in a point where I reached a certain point in the career. You know, I've been there before, been in the corner offices in, in the city, you know, the 27th floor on, you know, Barangaroo. I've, I've done some cool stuff. But going back to the roots and having a skill set that you could have a bit of freedom, it, it came down to really 
flexibility and the ability to have freedom that you could pick up and say, right, can I speak to someone today, potentially make a good amount of money and then choose what I want to do the rest of the day. It's not just about working that grind and, mm. you know, eight till six and you know, missing out on your family growing up. It's having that ability to have freedom, you know, while also being able to command another, you know, another income level whenever you wanted to. I just thought I've always liked sales. I've always been decent or so I thought before I came here. The guys, the level of salesmanship in here is insane. But I always enjoyed it, just put it bluntly, really. Yeah. What do you think was the difference between, I guess, like NDPQ and the sort of style of sewing that you did? Oh, it's way more with – it is still way more with human behaviour, as Jeremy always says, right? Like before – when I used to sell, there was always that sort of element of tension in the phone and, you know, the ability that you drag them over the line almost, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that was always still there, even though you had to do it in a compliant way. Whereas with NEPQ, you know, when it, when you do the right and you follow the steps correctly, you kind of, it's a collaboration, mm. you know, and it's a conclusion that they say, okay, well, what's the next steps or how do I proceed, you know, more often than what I was getting before. So that's a find of the biggest difference. Yeah, that's one of the things I've found. It becomes an easier way of selling because, like, it's just, <laughs> combative selling is just tiring, mm. you know. Like I just found, like, I was just, like, beating people up. I wasn't in an industry where there's really much compliance, selling mm. business coaching, do it you want it's a super unregulated industry mm. you know what i mean because like because like it's it's funny right like because biz op is is fairly heavily regulated right because you're 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 selling making money yeah. but for some reason business coaching has sort of fallen under the radar of yeah. like education yeah. but it's not yeah like it's how to make money yeah right but it, it it's in this education realm where it's like super unregulated now yeah. oh, it's very interesting and um I think what one of the one thing that the salespeople forget is that like they're liable for their words. Yeah. And the, the 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 funny interesting thing about coaching programs is that like you can never say a result in a coaching program. It's the same as you can never do that with um BizOp, right? Like you be very careful with those things because like if you say a result and you're like, Yeah, man, like for sure over the next twelve months you definitely get your business to thirty K a month. If they get their business to twenty nine 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 nine, yeah, full refund. They're entitled to a 100% refund, you know, unless obviously you contractually, but like if they have proof that the salesperson said that they're cooked and the salesperson is the one responsible for that. Mm. Like not the business because like the business didn't tell you to say that, Mm. right? If the business did, then they're going to be in trouble if you have proof of that. But like salespeople need to be aware that like they are like, even though it's a relatively unregulated industry, especially coaching and consulting, which I think will change especially as it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger and Facebook and Instagram and all that, they're doing their own internal regulations essentially. Yeah. But in terms of like a sales process and delivery mechanisms, like it's pretty rogue. And so like salespeople, if you're watching, fucking be aware you're responsible for your own words. Right. And, and that's exactly and what you, I'll... and you've had regulators come down on you and you've had to fight the fight. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. We've um, had big things, right? Well, I don't want to go into specifics obviously because of it, but you know, there was nothing on, but they're very on top of things. And, your word is your word, right? I always say one of my favourite history like sayings is you can't fake your history, right? People know, you know, if you're a good guy 10 years ago and you help someone, they're going to remember that, same as if yeah. you did the wrong thing. And that's with clients and that too. That's what I was saying earlier, being congruent with the product and believing in it and having a good product to sell. I think that's, you know, 20% of every salesperson's battle. Find a good product that you can trust the person to do the right thing and, and you're going to have a better result for your people that you've they've trusted you to send you money. It's a big yeah. thing for me. It's a big and problem. Like salespeople really struggle to spot poor programs because generally speak, 
generally speaking, you're going to protect your salespeople from complaints, right? Which is a good idea. Like, I don't think that's dodgy. I think like, um, like no matter how good you are, there's a percentage that will complain mm. and for board a lot of time for fucking ridiculous reasons. Yeah. Right. So you need to protect your sales staff from that because your sales staff need to be like pure champions of what you do. Yeah. But in saying that as well, like if you spend eight hours a day, five days a week, convincing people this is the right move to make, then you have convinced yourself. You can't not. So like that has a couple of like downstream effects where like salespeople are more likely to f- up on the phone because like they are so confident in the program because everything they see is unicorns and rainbows. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. But also like they're loyal to a fault, like to where like they take the shit end of the stick because like, they're like, Oh, this is the greatest program. I'm lucky to be selling it. And, and then business owners take advantage of that. That's wrong. And I've seen a real shift in the last probably year of like higher level business owners losing lots and lots of staff because like they're just being greedy. And I think like Ryan, sir, I didn't a podcast with Ryan Serhant that we'll link somewhere below. I did a clubhouse with him and he was telling me how like a really, really great lesson was like, um, when he was building one of his sales teams, he had a team of like 80 or 90 people at the time and he was building that up. And then all of a sudden he had like a mass exodus. Mm. And it was because like he got two extra TV shows. He was on three TV shows, right? He was on Salt Like Sirhan. He was on the Sirhan something or other one. And then he was on Million Dollar Listing. Right? Oh. So three TV shows. And he started to get in mentality. And he said this openly and he's changed his fixed himself on it, but he was like, well, you guys are only getting these opportunities because of my name. Right. But then the sales staff are saying, yeah, but you only get, you only make the money because we do work and that frees you up to get those opportunities. Right. And, and both are both simultaneously right and wrong. It's so funny you mention this, man. As someone who came from a sales background in the Forex brokerage industry and then came into management, I couldn't agree with that more because it's always that, it's a push between management treating employees not as well as they should be and employees thinking they're entitled to more than they're worth, right? Yeah. That's what I find. And it was always that balance. But having seen both sides, where you're right, people are losing people because they think that the business is bigger than the people. And that's not the case. You know, without the yeah. people, everyone walks away from the business. You've got nothing. But also without the brand. Without the like, brand. So they're both equally as important. They're both equally. It's a tree and branch, but they're both equally. It's it's a synergy, right? And they yeah. both have to, you know, it's almost a difference between politics, left and right. You need the centre, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can go spend a whole podcast on just that. And there's probably times where the brand relies on the employees and there's times where the employees have to rely on the brand, you know. Like if, if we go through a spot where, you know, three or four of our account team the bed mm. and we don't get sales and we lose those and we're going to rely on my branding to get us more accounts right. to be able to feed them and there'll be times where like the only reason why we get those accounts is because our guys have done such a good job that's right so it's like you know there's a back of uh, you know we had a team meeting today and i just said like like everyone needs to know that first of all like decision making processes i think should be somewhat transparent and I think that's a big mistake that a lot of business owners make and sales team leaders and stuff like that. Like they compartmentalize yep. unnecessarily. Yep. Like I, I used to come from a special operations background where everything's compartmentalized for very good reason, but it still creates issues, mm. right? It's probably over compartmentalized because people inherently like to know things other people don't, mm. right? Oh. 
But what that does is it creates a a lack of faith in the decision-making process of the hierarchy, right? Because if you don't have like not, and so what I try and do here is I, I try and have a transparent decision-making process and like, and I don't let them know on every decision, but every decision is guided by a couple of fundamental principles, which is, is it the best thing for our sales team? Like, is it best for the individual? So like if I move someone from one account to another and they're like, why are we doing this? It's like, well, I've looked at your data and you're not going to be successful here long-term. So I'm putting you somewhere where I think you can be. I understand that might be frustrating, but I'm doing it because like, that's what's best. You know what I mean? And so like, and I could be wrong, yeah. right? But like the the decision making metric is like how do we put people in the best position to be able to get the outcome that they want, and then how do we balance that with not <laughs> up the company, right? Like we recently changed in billing cycles, so we pay mid month. So in January we're paying on the tenth, and then in February we're paying on the fifteenth, right? The reason is is because like it's te- there's a lot of back and forth in our invoices with our clients because they're for hundreds of thousands of dollars every month. And there's a lot of line items. Mm. So there's a lot of back and forth. So it can take three to four weeks to get paid. Whereas we were essentially invoicing on the 31st, getting invoiced on the 1st, paying on the 1st, and getting paid for that invoice three weeks later. Actually, yeah. Right? So, so like we're putting ourselves in a, a you know a million to $2 million cash flow shortage every 30 days, right? Which is like problematic because it makes it difficult to run the business. So whereas like, so how do we, but like we did that, in order to pay the sales guys as fast as possible to make them as happy as possible. But we did it at the massive detriment to the business. So now we're like, okay, well let's mitigate that detriment by having a mid month billing cycle. And then we know we get everyone paid on the day of the 15th. Right. So it's like, bang, good to go. And we have a transition period to get there, but it's like, that's like, that's the best balancing act we can do. Best case would be 30 day payment terms. Mm. You send me an invoice, I have 30 days to pay it. That would be best for the business, but it's kind of around for the sales guy. You know, because then technically, if you do a sale on the first of the month, you're not getting paid for that for 60 days. That's wrong, which is a hard pill. You know what I mean? Once you're in that cycle, it becomes fine, but getting into that cycle becomes a right? So, so mid month is where it will stay. And what what you just said then, I think if people on the in the team know why you're making decisions, this is not a decision in a vacuum. Because what I found firsthand, when things were said and there was decisions from higher up and it didn't make sense or they didn't know why, that's when you cause people get a bit uncertain. Like creates friction and bitterness. Whereas if you sit down and say, hey, you're open about it, the reason they're doing this is this, there's a short-term hit but it's for the long term. And it's kind of, People get it, right? Most people, yeah. you know, 90% of people that you deal with, 95 hopefully more, are reasonable, right? So if you're yeah. reasonable with them, and the people who aren't, you don't want them around anyway because they're going to cause another trouble with something else down the line. Yeah. So if you're transparent with them enough, and you don't need to tell them everything, you're not going to tell them the bottom line of the business or really sensitive stuff, but transparency I think always works because it, it just gets people on the same side that we're all in the same boat paddling the same way, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, you know, and, and so also the, the one of the other core tenets is that like regardless of your position in the company, your value is the same. Mm. Right. So like you should speak to me in the same way that you speak to Joe Setter. Yeah. Right. Because if you don't like what, the, first of all, what the f- wrong with you? It's an you elitist know? thing, right? Yeah. It's and that, that always, that's what really f- me about like the special ops community, especially snipers. Mm. Man, snipers thought they were so cool. And I was in snipers and it was like, thought we were cool. It's like, guys, like your job and your rank does not dictate your value as a human. Ah. So like, let's just treat everybody with respect and we'll all be fine. 
you know, like that's, that, that should be the default. Right. And so like, I had a real problem with that. And I was like, we're not that cool. I was like, we're just, you know, people, people like to martyr themselves, right? I'm doing this for the good of the country. You just like doing it. Yeah. It's oh, just fun. Pretend that it's yeah. something. Jumping out of planes and fast roping on a buildings. Like it's every little boy's dream. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have, there's a chance you might die, but if I get some cool stories, right? So there's a lot of upside, right? So I think like, it's important to remember that stuff. And I think for me as like a manager of a lot of people, like I can see the frustrations that must've come from like managing a highly motivated group of young men in special operations. But I can see a lot of the frustrations are self manifested because of a complete lack of transparency. Yeah. And it's like, if they would have just gone, hey, you guys are doing this for this reason, people go, oh, instead of all the diggers going, it's so simple. Yeah. Ah, these stupid cunts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is what you end up, the conversation you end up yeah. having. Yeah. And you just think your entire hierarchy is incompetent because like you're, you're looking at it through this lens. Right. All they have to do is open it a little bit and you go, oh, it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Although I'm eating a big fat Right, like, and I don't necessarily want to. We call it the pineapple, you know. I mean, in the army. If I can bend over, take the pineapple backwards, right? It's like although we're getting the pineapple, it kind of makes sense why. And yeah. although I don't like it, I get it. Yes. And I think that's that's lacking in a lot of. And I think a lot of business owners they just think they're so cool, and that there's some sort of like visionary, I don't know, guru, and they believe their own because they're surrounded by people who are going to like, especially coaches, right? Because coaches are like, they're the God King of their little universe. Yep. And it's like, it's just such a way to be. And it makes you the worst boss. Well, the, exactly what you said, mate. You look at it where people are sitting around. It's when you get to a certain level, you've got to remember where you came from, right? You got It's the yeah. people that get you there. And exactly what you just were mentioning, you can't just expect all of a sudden you're at this elite stage and then to treat other people bad. And, and it comes down to what you're, what you're mentioning about, you know, you've got to be a good person no matter who you're talking to. And people lose that when they get to a certain level. They never understood it because they might not have ever been there. A lot of people in positions of power and privilege have never had to struggle. Mm. They're sometimes the worst because they've never seen the other side. That's why you got to always – I think you always got to stay humble, treat people the way you want to be treated, right? Yeah, and I think like people just don't know, they start to believe their own bullshit. And I think like specifically in the coaching and consulting industry, which is the industry that we're sort of in, there's variants left and right there, up mm-hmm. with BizOp and stuff like that. But essentially it's people teaching other people, right? I think people really do get stuck in their own vacuum and it ends up being just a really, really like I'm like I'm it just ends up being a very, very negative environment for a lot of salespeople. And what I'm seeing industry wide is very unhappy, highly commoditized salespeople. And they're coming to us because we don't treat them that way. And they're coming to us a lot of the time for a a reduction in percentage because, because we're an agency, like we can't pay as well as going direct to the account. We just can't because we have infrastructure costs, right? So like if, if if similar closure can be 20%, like we might be able to bid at 23% and get it because we come with a lot of stuff, but like that 20% would all go to the sales guy. If we did that, we'd go broke. Like we have to take 50 to 60% of that. And like, we're very transparent about that because it's like, man, like we need, like we have so much infrastructure cost because we're training everybody. We're writing everyone's scripts. We're providing CRMs. We're providing follow-up people for the closers. We've got setters. setters we've got, yeah. And every, all those people are on fixed wages. Yeah. You know, and then we've got a CTO, a CMO, a CEO, a CFO, a f- two bookkeepers. We've got this, you know what I mean? So like in order to make sure that the, like you guys as salespeople can just sell. 
right? And like, because for me, like I was never in, I never allowed myself to be in an environment that wasn't good because I just, I relentlessly stand up for myself. Like mm-hmm. I won't take won't tolerate it. But like, like, and I'm not going to be a dick about it, but like if, like I remember when I was selling for an account he's like, Hey man, we have a retreat coming up. I want you to come out for two days and teach. I was like, yeah, sweet. What's the pay? Like, Oh, we don't pay sales guys for that. And I was like, what, what do you mean? I was like, my cost of opportunity. I was like, I have a, I have an 80% close rate. I have a 80% show up rate. I do, you know, eight sales a week. So let's say I average two sales a day because I don't really work Fridays. I'm like, I make $2,000 a sale. You're stopping me from making $8,000. And offering me zero to come. And offering me zero to come. And I have to leave my family, right? Go to a bunch of people that I don't know or particularly give about and teach stuff that I spent money learning. <laughs> I was like, it's not very appetizing, mate. I had to break it to you. Like, it's just not very appetizing. And so they're like, oh, we'll cover your flights and accommodation. And I was like, no, like, unless you pay me for it, mate, I'm not doing it. I don't expect you to pay me the eight grand, but I expect you to come to the table with something. And I go, I am a commission only sales rep. I'm not an employee. Ah. None of the contract that we signed stated that I had to do anything outside of sell people. And I do that really well. If you want me to do something, then you can come up with an agreement, either short term or long term, and I'll do it. If it makes sense financially. The fact that they even said to throw the flight and the, the costs down. It's like, like, was that ever a given? Yeah, but the other guys just did it. And I think they paid for their own flights, right? And I was like, so I was like, I'm not doing that. So I ended up getting paid flights, accommodation, and I got paid for the whole thing. And it was fine. But yeah, it's just like, and but people don't stand up for themselves like that. And it's like, that's why I'm a big believer of, and I say it a lot, is like your employees do employee things your contractors do contractor things, but if you ask your contractors to do stuff, you kind of have to pay them, you know? It's beyond the scope of what they do, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, if, if I ask you to train four people for two hours of the thing, I'd be like, send me a rate. Mm. You know, like, I don't ask you to train people for free. Mm. It makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's crazy. You're not a corporate guy on thing. It's just part of the job. It's not part of us. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, people don't get that. You know, I know one of the big, uh, sales and marketing organizations like recently did a massive pay drop for everybody, probably because they're positioning to sell, I would assume. So they're increasing margin. But yeah. And they had like a bit of a mass exodus. A bunch of them came over to us and like getting an insight into, and this isn't a one-off, like I've heard this a lot, getting an insight into like how those people are treated. Like I actually got told that people are getting yelled at, like actually yelled at for not hitting a KPI. Like, do you know how badly you have to fail as a leader to yell at somebody? Like, even in the military, like, bags yelled at people, right? Like, when I was in regular infantry, they would scream at everybody for everything because they're fucking worthless, man. Like, and sorry if that offends you, get army people, compared to SF, it's absolutely worthless, right? And then I'd get to SF, and people would be like, hey, man. And they would sit you down, and they would very sternly, but they would go, this is what's happening, this is what's wrong, this is why it's wrong, this is what I need you to do to fix it. And you go, yep, sounds yeah. good. And there was no grudge. The best manager of men that I ever had was a terrifying dude named, uh, I won't say his name because he's still in, but he was a sergeant. I think he's a warrant. He's way up for that now. And he was a sniper platoon sergeant. He was a giant man who was like a 10th degree black belt in 17 different styles. Like savage, bro, savage. Dude. And he ran my sniper course and he was a really good guy. But took it seriously, as you should. It's a serious job. But like if you up, he would go hard in the paint on you and then that was it. He wouldn't yell at you, but he'd just like very serious and he'd go, yep, sweet. And then he'd go, fix it. You'll never hear another word about it. 
and he's stuck to that word. Oh yeah, he yeah. never held a grudge. You could <laughs> never held a grudge, right? Um, so you're never treated differently based on previous behavior unless it became persistent and consistent, but then you were managed out anyway, yeah. right? Because you're just not right for it. Yeah. And then one of the things that he came in and he said, like, there's three things. And he said this conversation with everybody. So he'd bring him in and goes, okay, there's three things that you need to know. There's three important things. There's your job, your career, and your family. He goes, family is first. It's the most important thing. If you ever need anything family-wise, you just tell me, you do it. I will make it work. If you ever use that and lie to me, I will destroy you. I say where you got that from because right? you said that. You said yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you have a family issue? Fine, man. Do your thing. We'll, we'll cover it. Right? It's not a problem. And then he goes, then there's your job. All you have to do is be good at your job. So focus on being good at your job and then I'm happy. And then there's your career. Let me focus on your career. And I will sometimes have you do things that you don't want to do, but just know it's in the best interest of your career. So you'd tell him where you want to go in your career. I want to do this. He goes, sweet. And he'll map that out for you. And then from there, he might get you to do He's already done it. Mm. So he knows the things, the skill sets you have to have in order to get to where you want to go. So he might give you jobs that you perceive to be or meaningless, but they're designed to help you get to your goal faster. Something popped in my head, mate. It makes me laugh. The karate kid, wax on, wax off. He keeps doing that. Exactly. Honest, what am I doing? And then when it came time to do it, it was for a reason. But yeah, so I think like, you know, there's like a, uh, and, and he's a great manager of men and his retention rate for people is really high um, because like he, he understood how to be transparent and communicate with people. And I think like that's just a skill set that is like very missing in the coaching consulting industry. And I think because a lot of them are very young, mm. you get a lot of these guys, 28 years old, they're making a million dollars a year. And King. Got their fans, got everyone. Yeah, you know, buying a Lamborghini or whatever. And um, they just don't have enough life experience to manage people effectively. Like I'm 37, I'm turning 38 pretty soon. I think you're around the same, yeah, right? same year. Yeah, and, and it's like those years, like I would have been a terrible manager at 25. Mm. I would have told people to just shut the up, put their head down and get the work done. Mm. Like totally unproductive mm. way. And I even look at like, God bless him, like Marco... If I look at him 18 months ago when he was managing people, it was ruthless, ruthless. Yeah, right. And he's come a long way. And a lot of that, and I can see people in that, like trying to make that shift of like compassion. Good management is a lot about compassion, yeah. right? You have to like understand not everyone has the same goal. Not everyone has the same abilities. Not everyone has the same desire, yeah. right? So like if I'm, if I want to be a billionaire, and I make all my decisions based off the fact that I want to be a billionaire. And I speak to someone who doesn't want to be a billionaire. Like their decision-making process is so different. Like if I start espousing my beliefs upon to them, I will be so frustrated with that person. There's one of our sales guys in particular who I speak to. He's probably listening. I speak to about this a fair bit because that is the biggest hurdle he's trying to overcome to become someone who can manage people. Right now is basically incapable of management because like very, very stuck in the head that this is what I want. This is what everybody should want. Mm. And if you don't act the same way I do, an idiot. Mm. Right. And that you kind of get stuck in that zone a little bit with salespeople because like um, you're selling the same thing. So you're having the same conversations, especially if you're selling salespeople because salespeople want to be more successful salespeople. So if you want to be more successful salesperson, then just do what I do because I'm doing it. Right. But that doesn't really work because people are so different. It's so funny, mate. A manager said to me one in, in, a, in a previous life, there's a difference between management and leadership. 
I yeah. thought that was a pretty interesting comment because it's true. You know, you can be very good and you can be a really good sales guy, but it, it doesn't always translate to being effective management unless you learn the skills to do that. Because yeah. And sometimes, and this is the thing I find, it holds people, some salespeople down. If you, you, in a lot of industries, if you're the best sales guy in the industry, they don't want to put you up the ranks into management and that because no, they want to hold a lot of revenue. Back. They'll hold yeah. you back. They'll they'll promote other people, and then that salesperson gets frustrated and yeah. goes somewhere. And that actually happened to me at one point in time. You know, yeah. so I've lived it. I know what it's like. You know, so it's trying to harness that balance of what you said: the job, the family, the job, the career. Brilliant. I'll work on the career. You make if you do the best job you can. I'll help you get to career because no one should hold people back from where they want to go. No, that's literally the reason why I probably got three of my four best salespeople yeah. was because when I had the conversation, I said I will never pigeonhole you in a sales position just because you're making me money. Yeah. And, and that goes a long way. And that was Anthony, right? Anthony, well, right? Because he got pitched right, in that. Excellent. Uh, Marco. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember another person, but like, for example, Marco, best sales guy I've ever met besides Jeremy, doesn't do sales calls anymore. Yeah. Right. Except for the sales calls to sign up done for you clients, right? Um, and some B2B stuff. But he, like, if I had him on crypto account, for example, he'd make us a ton of money. Yeah. Like a ton. I could put him on there. And I could pull in hundreds of thousands of profit every month just from his calls, right? But it's like, it's not really progressing him in any way, shape or form. It would also like, you know, counteractively would have a massive detriment to the business, but let's just say he wasn't as proficient in all the other things that he was. Like I would, I would not allow him just to be stuck in sales land, which is why like he was out of sales within, within two years, yeah. I think. So it's a really good guy. Yeah, like he did sales. He's still in sales, don't get me wrong, but it's very different. Um, he's not on an account per se. He sells for Sales Sniper. Okay. Right, and he sells for Seventh Level. So he does some high-level B2B stuff, and then he sells the accounts that want to come in. So if you wanted to be, if you want us to do your sales, like people don't reach out to me about it. People reach out to Marco. Yeah. And we have a website form on the website, and that gets like 30 leads a month. <laughs> knows where they come from. Probably from here. <laughs> oh, um, talking, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, people who pigeonhole salespeople, they eventually they try to protect what they've got in the sales guy, but they end up with none anyway. The salesperson yeah. will go; they've lost someone with a lot of brain. You know, and you sometimes if you're trying to focus and you've got a sales guy that's doing a lot of your sales, you don't want to. You got to diversify, make sure other people are getting better. Otherwise, that salesperson goes or gets hit by a bus. Your business is in trouble. There's a lot of business out there that are relying on one or two sales guys that would you probably especially if you have rock stars. Yeah terrifying if you have rock stars and if yeah. you don't identify that you have rock stars if you just think that you're marketing one of the biggest things that kills coaches is that they think that they are the reason why they're making sales like oh my content my product my service my, my marketing is so good oh. that anyone can sell it and i slap back on clients pretty hard when they're like oh you're amazing i'm this and this and this i'm like well, champ i go they're probably not i go your lead flow is probably half decent your leads are okay Unless you're actually famous. And even then, like we sell for Ryan Serhan, it's not, it doesn't make it any easier. Mm. We sell for the number one most recognized real estate agent on planet earth, right? Literally and like statistically, that's the case. It has the most recognized real estate brand on the planet. And that is a difficult sale, right? It's a 10 and 24K coaching program. It's difficult, man. Like we have top tier sales guys on there and we are constantly war gaming. We did an hour with Ryan today to try and get some more insights so we can tweak it and adjust it even more. Right. We've been on that account for two years. Um, and so like 
that's when I was like, oh, myth busted. Mm-hmm. I was like, because when I got on there, I was like, oh man, these are going to be laydowns. <laughs> no way. We do Brad. We do sales for a Bradley program again. Makes no fucking difference. It just makes it easier to get leads. Yes, that is honestly what it is. Like the more known you are, the more people you have booking in just because of your name. Yep. But they're not qualified. They qualified be, they or relevant. Should be like, on the phone call. We had to have a whole mechanism in place just to stop people who just wanted to chat to Ryan. Yeah. Like so, you know, and. Like you're ideally you have good sales, like you have good sales guys, not rock stars, just good, effective sales guys. And you have good marketing, mm-hmm. right? If you have rock star marketing, you end up with a weak sales team. Yep. If you have rock star sales, you know, with weak marketing. I remember we were doing, we were uh, working with a coach and he goes to me, I goes, oh, our problem is we have too many good leads. And I went, I went, first of all, shut the f- up. I was like, what did you just say? And so, he was like, well, I've gone through and I saw the quality of the lead in DMs is amazing. These people are this. And I was like, all right, let's pull up some sales calls, right? At random, pulled up sales calls. And I was like, you think, and Marco was the sales guy. And I was like, your problem is Marco's closing everybody. And I was like, you need to realize he is a generational sales guy. Like he is so good at selling this particular thing that if I put anybody else in there, they will not make any sales. I was like, Marco is getting people to sell their parents' cars, right? Like he's getting people's mothers on the phone to give their credit card from their parents and selling the parents. And these are 30-year-old men, right? You know what I mean? So like crazy, crazy ninja wizard stuff. And I was like, I was like, you have a rock star. And I was like, it's really dangerous to not identify that. And yeah. if you don't identify it, I go, this business will f- sink yeah. because anyone else will not be able to like replicate this. Uh-huh. And so- he didn't believe me. They took back over the sales process for a month. Their revenue dropped by like 80% and then we took it back over. It's probably clown. I would have been a fly on the wall in that call. Yeah, it went from back. 300K a month, right? And about half of that was front-end revenue and half of it was recurring. And then it went down to like 80,000 the next month, right? And then we took back over 350. 350. Right, and it was just like, like that. And it was just because, mate, we've got a rock star salesperson on yeah. here. So it's like you need to build out your business knowing that you have that. So you need to fix your marketing. So Marco is telling you to lay downs. Yeah. Yeah. And then every now and then you get a rock star marketing, rock star sales team like we have in one of our like uh, crypto based accounts. It's crazy. Like it's madness. We have a 25 times return of ad spend. That's just, that's. Yeah. But their internal team is only averaging like eight, right? So eight's still very good, but our is so much higher that like it shows you like that next level of salesperson with the same leads can produce such a better result because of the processes and the systems and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we've been averaging over 22, I think X return of ad spend. So they put $10,000 in, they get $220,000 back in cash. So you, they just spend money all day, mate. Turn it up like that. Yeah. Um, well, that's if you found the tap, you just keep turning it up and then yeah. reach the capacity point. I mean, if it's raining, grab bucket, yeah. you know? And I always tell the boys, like, I don't know how long this is going right. to last just because, like, you never know how long mar- good marketing will last. You just never know. So it's like, let's just, with the knowledge that, and I've done this on many accounts, and, you know, it's like, okay, lead flow is really, really high. Let's not forget our pipeline and our follow-up because, like, this tap could turn off at any day and we need to know that. 
And we need to not panic when it does because like it will get turned off. It's not if, it's when. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not <laughs> like, nothing size forever. Yeah, we've had heaps of accounts that like, I remember I had a guy and I was like, okay, so we'll do this for redundancy in case your ads get turned down. He goes, oh, that will never happen. I said, it will guarantee it will happen. He's like, now we have this, this, and this. I go, mate, I had a client with 16 backup accounts. Okay. Every single one got blocked. I was like, so it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. If you don't realize that, we are not a good fit. Because that means that you're playing the best case scenario game and I can't play that game. I have to play the worst case scenario game. So it's like, let's set up structures and systems and alternate lead flow mechanisms that give us redundancy when the paid ads go down. So yeah, logical. All right, guys, if you like that kind of content, make sure you like, subscribe, and notification about all that kind of good stuff. And um, yeah, head over to Closing Code Facebook group. If you want to learn more about pure sales training, you can over to salesrevolution.group. Um, and then you can hit up the Sales Revolution, which is our seventh level side. If you want to uh, work for us or work with us, you can just go to salessniper.net and go to the work with us work. Uh, I think the work with us section and, and the done for you section. And we have some stuff to fill out. But any any final words of wisdom? Oh, you know, what you just said, like it's if you're wanting to get better at sales and you know, you want a good group of people to work with, I couldn't recommend it enough. You know, it's it's I've never seen a place like this and I've been around the traps a bit to know, you know, for sure. So awesome. it's, good, it's good to be here, man. Awesome. All right, guys, have a good day. Bye. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. <laughs>